Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Minutes with Mute. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri, and we're joined by the one and only Scott Mutrin. You know him as a sideline reporter on the BC IMG Radio Network, also a former quarterback at Boston College. So first of all, Scott, thanks so much for uh, joining us here. BC was victorious at Fenway Park over UConn, uh, 39-16. to First of all, what was it like being on the field at Fenway and just your general thoughts of the game? Well, Mike, thanks for having me, Juan, first of all. Uh, nothing like being on the field at Fenway. It's kind of funny. You're, you're out there and you're standing in center field watching part of the game or you're sitting on the dugout steps on the third base baseline. And you're, it's tough to, as you're watching the game, you're wondering what, what it's like actually to be playing there because of the, you know, the history of that, of that field and, and how close you are to the action. You can literally taste it. Um, the weather wasn't particularly great, so I spent some time in the second and third quarter standing in the center field fence where they lifted that up. I had a nice view, and I was out of the elements. Uh, when playing, quarterbacks are always the toughest guys, but when we're done playing, we're definitely looking to try to stay as dry and warm as possible. <laughs> well said. So first of all, let's get right into it. I heard you say on Twitter uh, that uh, Coach Adazio and Randy Etzel did not shake hands after the game. What did you see uh, post-game between those two? Well, for me, I didn't see – I didn't personally see them shake hands and I saw Randy Etzel run right off the field after the end of the game. Now, I've heard reports that they did shake hands, but from what I saw, I didn't see anything. And for me, I, I was – not only was I disappointed in, in Randy Etzel for doing that way, that's not a great representation of your school, but, you know, BC's up 39-3 to with five minutes left in the game, and Coach Adazio does a great thing of putting some of his younger guys in, give them a chance to play, get the chance to play at Fenway Park, and because of all the injuries Boston College has had, it's not like they're true second teamers. You're probably looking at third or maybe even fourth team guys going out there but also guys that deserve a chance to play in, in Fenway Park. And Randy Ethel cho- chooses to leave his starters in. I didn't think that was a real classy thing to do by him. At that point of the game, I thought, you know, it's time for, for UConn to probably put some other guys in and let them play. And UConn puts up two scores on the game, and then Coach, Coach Adazio calls timeout for the two-point conversion there with two minutes left in the game. BC stops him as he puts in the, the starters. But at that point in the game, you're like, there's really no point with that much time left to all of a sudden feel the need to to score points. And I understand the whole, like, well, you play to the final whistle and stuff like that. But to me, it's it's, it's more along the lines is they were – UConn was a beaten team. Boston College played thoroughly better than they did. And the chance for him to do that, I thought, was a disservice to his players – the ones that have worked hard all year, they're not going to a bowl game, and they get a chance to play at Fenway Park, and you choose to leave your starters in. I just thought that left a, a bad taste in my mouth. And then on top of that, to, to run off the field and not even acknowledge, not even what I saw was not even acknowledge, acknowledge Coach Adazio, but not even acknowledge any of the Boston College players, I just think is a poor representation of, of, of your institution. And as if I was any association with UConn or anybody else, I'd be disappointed in my head coach's behavior based on that. So you, uh, the final score was BC 39-16. You're a former quarterback yourself. Uh, how did you rate Darius Wade's performance? And uh, overall, what does he need to prove on, you think, heading into Syracuse next week? And also, I'd like to get your thoughts on EJ Perry. He came in late in the game. Yeah, I 
think when you see Darius, UConn's position going into that game was they were not going to let A.J. Dillon win the game. They played straight man coverage, bringing their safeties all the way down into almost a linebacker position and stuffed what they call the box, which is the, from tackle to tackle or tight end to tight end inside the field. And they were determined to make Darius Wade throw the ball to beat him. Now, on the first touchdown drive, Darius Wade made a great throw to Tommy Sweeney on third down and also had a nice touchdown to Chris Garrison, which really helped. But the fact of the matter is BC really only threw for 60 yards in that game. Now, obviously things turned because BC scores a touchdown off the Darius Wade pass to Chris Garrison. Then E.J. Dillon, after they come back, scores on a toss sweep. Then Ham Cheevers gets an interception. So it got downhill a little quick on UConn, and they didn't really need to throw the ball. And the weather played a factor with, uh, with the wetness in the first half. It was raining pretty substantially there in the first half. But you really need to see Darius Wade bring more into the passing game. At least the more that he's able to keep the other defense honest and, and force them to at least respect the passing game in some way, shape, or form, that much better the offensive line's going to be. They were tremendous with all those guys in front of them to begin with. But uh, if he's able to, to throw the ball, and I think I would like to see him throw, he seems to really do well throwing the ball inside the numbers to the tight ends. He has a lot of chemistry with Tommy Sweeney, um, and he has some chemistry with Chris Garrison, it looks like, and some of the other tight ends. But it would be nice to see him kind of work the ball into the middle of the field, get some easy drop-back throws, not just straight bootleg stuff all the time, and throw the ball a little bit more inside the numbers and use uses accuracy as a, as a benefit for Boston College because it's, the more capable he is as a passer, not just against Syracuse but in the bowl game, that much di- that's much more dynamic is the Boston College offense because you saw what Anthony Brown was able to do in the Virginia game at, in the, you know, and what Darius Wade did in the Louisville game, and then on top of that with the Florida State game, if they're able to dy- dynamically throw the football, that offense is even better because now you're adding another di- dimension to them, and that's, that's a really tough thing for, for defenses to defend. Do you want to stop the run, or do you have to worry about big plays going over the top? Because they're not high-percentage plays, but if you hit one or two of those, those are big, big plays, whether they're big chunk plays or touchdowns, those things really matter and help ease up the rest of your offensive plan. Also, and then uh, A.J. Perry, how did you what, did you feel like it was a good move to get him in the game? And how do you think he's going to play out with Syracuse in the bowl game down the stretch? Right. I mean, as I talked last week, any game experience you get at that point is something that's valuable. And E.J. hadn't had the opportunity to get a lot of reps, I think, with the first team throughout the season. The big change moving from running the scout team to running the – you know, running with the ones. And the fact that he got some reps doing that in practice was a good thing for him. But to get out in the game and even handing the ball off, just get comfortable with the, the quarter center uh, center exchange and to get out there and just experience being in the huddle with those guys. I know some people wanted to see him throw the ball, but at that point in time, it didn't really suit what BC was looking to do at that point. So I thought it was good to get him out there. The problem is when you have – one quarterback, which is Darius Wade, and you can even say Jeff Smith, maybe the other quarterback. But you're one play away from that guy being in the game. And if EJ didn't get any reps, and I know a lot of people are probably jammed up that he burned a red shirt this late in the season, but if he hasn't gotten any reps or out there, 
and he's forced into action, whether it's this week against Syracuse or in the bowl game, it's an unfair position to put him in. Any type, any type of rep that you can give him is an added benefit. And as a quarterback, the more and more game reps that you can get, even if it is handing the ball off, really matter. And I know a lot of people want him to, you know, to, to throw it or be out there, and who knows what happens this week. But even though that he didn't throw the ball a lot, those, those reps on the field with, those, with the first-team offensive line matter. And I think that if he gets a chance to play – that's one last thing he has to worry about and one last thing that's, that's on his mind. And he can kind of just go out there and it just be a, be a little more in a sense of normalcy, that it's not that big of a deal, and he can get some of those easy butterflies out of him. It would have been nice to maybe see him run the ball and get hit. That, that always kind of brings you into the game. But, uh, they, you know, they ran the ball. I, I still think it's a good thing. I'm not worried about burning redshirt years. I think that's way overblown. At some other point in time, he can he can get a redshirt, and if he's that good and he wins the job next year, you have a three-year starter on top of that. Or if you know if, if AB's back and he's healthy and has a healthy 2018 season, then AJ doesn't have to EJ doesn't have to play, and then he can redshirt his sophomore year. So there's a ton of other factors that go into it, and I think what you really matters the most is doing what's best for the team and the overall benefit of the team. And, and what they needed was for him to get some reps and for him to at least be somewhat game-ready in case he's called to action. I also think offensively it was nice to see John Hillman had 10 carries, 107 yards, uh, to complement A.J. Dillon as well in the rushing game. Yeah, and you know, I mentioned this during the game. It's John Hillman came into this year and with a lot of expectations. He had a really good spring. He had a really good uh, fall camp. And he was doing really well. Unfortunately, he had some really costly fumbles early in the year. And then E.J. Dillon kind of came onto the scene. Uh, A.J. Dillon came onto the scene and really took over and took his job. And it's not easy for that, for, you know, the mentality of a player to give your job up to a younger guy. But he's been nothing short of exemplary in his leadership skills and coaching A.J. and really being a, a, you know, a shoulder to, to lean on for him. But it's great to see that faith in the team and the selfless act by John Hilleman to put the team ahead of himself and to, to really encourage A.J. and help him out and to get him going. But it's great to see that reward when he gets out there and has a couple big plays, two touchdowns as well. You know, that that's great to see because that just shows that the good guys get rewarded in these certain things, and guys that put the team first, that stuff matters. It matters in the locker room. It matters with your teammates. And when, when someone like that, John Hillman was a big recruit coming in as well. So for him to put that aside for the betterment of the team and sacrifice his personal stats, it's always great in my eyes to see that rewarded with a performance like he had on Saturday. Yeah, you're right. I don't know if we talk about that enough. How it, you know, It's got to be tough for him. He's an old upperclassman. There's true freshmen coming in. And uh, you're right, uh, getting 20 carries versus his 10 carries uh, last week. Yeah, and he's, he's surrendered a, b- a bunch of his carries towards that. And it's, and a lot of, you know, and A.J.'s had an, a remarkable season. I mean, he set B.C. freshman record, and he's, he's crushed it, and he's eclipsed it. And the only way that happens if John Hilleman is, is willing to, you know, to give up his spot so much to say. Um, Coach Dazio has raved about his work ethic and, and the way he's participated and and competed in spring and summer, excuse me, in fall camp. So 
it, it, it's not easy because you're an upperclassman and this is your time to shine. You've sacrificed a lot, and to see that happen, it's not easy ego-wise to deal with it. But to his credit, he's really put that aside and, and put the team first. And then just to wrap up the UConn game, uh, defensively, BC, after giving up that 50-yard field goal, really did a good job for most of the game shutting down UConn. Right. I mean, UConn, you watched the tape going into that game, and they were a different offense. Than, than what they were and what they came out with. So BC was a little bit on their heels starting out there, and and unfortunately they gave up a couple big plays. But after that, once they kind of dug in, they'd seen an offense similar to that all year long with the different type of spread offense that you've seen from Wake, from Notre Dame, from Clemson, from Louisville. You've seen all that type of offense before with most of them getting back to their keys and kind of staying disciplined. And once that happened... You turn that front four loose, and, and they were a menace in the backfield the entire day. I thought Noah Merritt had a great game. He was constantly in the backfield. Wyatt Ray and Zach Allen, again, had tremendous game. The best play for UConn, you watch it, was them basically drawing BC offsides and not letting the offensive line move and throw the ball down the field after the, the first couple series of the game. And if that's your best play on offense, that's not really, really a winning recipe. So the, the BC defense really locked in. And that secondary, I tell you, even losing Cameron Moore, who's such a big leader and such a big part of that team, you come in and you get you get Hampshevers and Tajamir Torres coming in there, putting huge stamps on, on, on their play getting in there. And Lucas Dennis has just had a tremendous year as well. That secondary has been really, really tough. And now, uh, Scott, let's let, move ahead now to Syracuse. It should be a tough challenge at the Carrier Dome. I know it's not your favorite spot to be, uh, but Syracuse is really a little bit. Uh, Dungy, Eric Dungy, the quarterback, might not play. Just what should we expect, Eagle fans should expect Saturday in Syracuse, New York? Well, I mean, Syracuse, it's not known my this, this love of the, uh, of the Carrier Dome. I call it the concrete sarcophagus because of so many of the the bad things that have happened there, playing there and watching other BC teams play there. It's been such a, it's been such an enigma to try and win at Syracuse, no matter how talented BC teams are. They always seem to struggle in that dome. And now you're going in there on Thanksgiving weekend when they're a four and seven team with not, no bull hopes on the, on the horizon. And maybe their starting quarterback, who I feel Eric Dungy's top two quarterback in the ACC. He is tough. He is the heart and soul of that team. He is a he's an exceptional thrower of the football. To, for him to, to not be out there, you just never know if he's not going to be out there because he's such a competitor. I think he would go out there with one leg if he could. And he's such a battler and he's so tough. But that offense is dynamic. I mean, even without him, they put up some big numbers. I think Earl Irv Phillips is a tremendous receiver for them big, long NFL guy that, that can go up and, and, and get the ball. The secondary for BC is going to have a lot on their hands going into this weekend. I think their defense has struggled the last couple games because they've had some injuries and they've given up a significant amount of points to Louisville and Wake Forest. So there's an opportunity for Boston College to put some points on the board. But I tell you, BC is going to have to throw the ball more consistently and I think with a little more uh, a little more reps this week. I think they're going to need to throw the ball a lot more than they did against UConn. I think they're going to need to get some contributions from the perimeter guys, 
whether it's in in the running game with with Thad Smith in the in the jet sweep game, or whether it's getting the ball in some quick screens to the perimeter to your playmakers like Jeff Smith and Michael Walker. A couple big drops happened in against UConn because of the slippery conditions, but kind of still no excuse. BC really needs the passing game to to come alive. And the great thing is you're in a controlled environment in a dome. There's no wind. There's no rain. There's no snow. So, you know, ideal conditions to throw the football. So BC really needs – I think they really need to throw the ball effectively to, to, to win this game in, in a handle in a handily kind of way. I think that they to rely on the game plan that they had against UConn is, is not going to be as effective because UConn up front was just no match for Boston College. BC's offensive line was – crushing them at the point of attack on both sides and getting to the second level on offense. So I don't know if they can count on that this week versus Syracuse. So they really need some, some contribution from the passing game. And then, you know, BC has got six wins, it's bowl games, but there's a big difference, I think, between uh, six and six and seven to five. Just talk about what that means and what the benefits are of playing in a bowl game for Boston College. Benefits are this: you get extra practice time. A lot of young guys that you know you saw them out there playing against UConn at the end of that game. Now they get some more time to practice. Most of the starters and major contributors at the beginning of bowl practice are kind of just working on getting healthy and staying in shape, not getting a ton of game tackle one-on-one kind of reps. So it's an opportunity for a lot of these young guys to improve. And when you ask a, a head coach the most important times for development of your younger players, they will tell you it's the bowl season and the spring of their freshman year. So you add, you add this onto them, those extra 15 practices or whatever you get are monumental. Because think about it, you go spring game is 15 practices, you're adding a whole other spring of reps for guys, an opportunity for guys to get better. And that matters, and that's a big thing for them. So the, the, the opportunity to do that is huge for the program. Now, when you talk about the bowl games, you go, well, six and six is good, but seven and five gives you a little more clout, gives you a, a little better standing, you know, looking into some other bowl game pictures. Unfortunately, the way in which the bowls are set up now, it's not, you know, ACC slot one goes to said team and then it trickles down. It's once you get past the playoff guys, it's up to the bowls to decide who they want there. So it basically becomes a ticket sale or a geography sale to these bowl games, and you got to bring something to the table with these guys and say, well, if we play in this game, we'll be able to, to bring these amount of guys, or if we come to this game, we'll be able to, to fill the stadium here. And I think if you talk to any BC alum, unless they're going to a, a warm place like Florida, the best opportunity for Boston College is the pinstripe bowl. That Penn State game a couple years ago, although you, you lose it on a missed extra point, was a great game well-attended, packed, everyone, a lot of BC people that I know went to the game, and they had a great experience there, and it's a great bowl game, and you got a lot of alums in that area. So the opportunity to go to a place like that and represent Boston College in a place like New York is a great spot. Ideally, that's the place you'd probably want to go if you could choose, but with a lot of the things out on the table, I mean, as of, you know, yesterday I saw, what, seven possibilities. They're all over the map is where BC goes. And then you have to see 
how the last weekend of the season plays out and see if there's a couple more bowl-eligible teams that make it. And then based on the, what is it, the APR rating, some five and seven teams can make it. I saw a couple ACC teams uh, up high on the list there that they may have an opportunity to, to play in a game. So it's really a crapshoot as to where they play, but the value of this is is immense for this program, and it continues. And, you know, say what you want about, you know, what bowl games and everything you play in, the fact that Coach Dazio has done this now four out of five years is, is really helps this team and really helps the development going into next year. And like we talked for the last couple of weeks, man, you go into 18 and you look at this schedule and how it lays out and you look at the people that are returning that have contributed and the guys that got hurt that are going to be playing, man, you're looking at a pretty solid team coming back next year. So this, this, these last two games really, really help set the tone going into 2018. No question about it. All right, Scott, that's probably the most important question I'm going to ask you. What do you look forward to most on the Thanksgiving meal? Okay, man, I'm glad you asked this question. <laughs> and then we stuffing. Stuffing is the key to Thanksgiving, and everybody that doesn't get this, I mean, tweet me or come at me. But I've had, if you ruin the stuffing, you ruin Thanksgiving. Um, my, my roommate from college, from BC, Scott Dragos, my freshman year, we went to his parents' house in, in Rochester, Massachusetts, and I love his parents to death. But we go there, and their stuffing had, like, walnuts and apricots and stuff in it, and it literally ruined my Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I love him to death. But if you screw up, if you screw up the stuffing, it literally sets a terrible tone for the rest of Thanksgiving. So if stuffing's not good, man, I tell you what, the rest of Thanksgiving's ruined. Got to dominate the stuffing. <laughs> well said. Well, Sky, I hope you have a good holiday. And what do you think? We get a BC win up in Syracuse, New York, upstate New York this Saturday? I, I tell you what, if, if Eric Dungey doesn't play, I feel a lot better about BC's chances. Uh, if he plays, it's going to be a hard-fought battle. But, man, that BC secondary, they're tough to deal with. I mean, look at what Virginia did against Miami um, this past weekend, and those Virginia receivers didn't have an inch to breathe against Boston College. Even after the game, the Virginia coaches and receivers are like, man, we couldn't get away from those guys. And the fact that they were able to have such a big game against Miami, granted it may have been a little bit of a letdown, but the secondary for Boston College is playing very, very well. And if BC can get pressure on the Syracuse quarterback, whomever it may be, there's three choices right now with uh, – with Mahoney, Culpepper, and Dungy, if they can get heat with their front four and, and, and they're able to play coverage and let that secondary kind of run wild, um, I, I like BC's chances. I, but, you know, to me, that place, it, there's just always bad things happen there. I, I don't like the place. Bad things happen. I get bad vibes when I walk in there. So I, I'm not as confident as I was going to the UConn game just because of the bad you know, juju that's in the, the carrier dome. <laughs> the concrete sarcophagus, but if you match them up and, and see how everybody lines up, it, it looks it's a favorable matchup for Boston College. <laughs> well said. Hey, Scott, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll be happy when you bring back a W on Saturday night uh, from Syracuse, right, New York. All right, Mike, that's, that's great. Thanks a lot, and uh, happy, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Be, uh, be safe if you're traveling because it's always a crazy time to be out there, and uh, go Eagles. All right, Scott, thanks so much.